How many of you have ever heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt? You ever heard that? The idea is that you know someone very well or experience something uh, a great deal, and as a result, you lose respect for that someone or that, or that thing. In other words, you lose sight of its significance. You lose sight of its importance. You have a tendency to admire it less. Today we begin a uh, four-week uh, sermon series in the book of Jonah. At this point in time, I'm saying four weeks, because but anything could happen. You just you never know when you're studying. Uh, I asked you the previous question about uh, familiarity, breeding contempt, because that's the attitude we can have toward the book of Jonah. There are a lot of stories in the Bible that we're familiar with, and the story of Jonah is one of those stories. I dare say there's no one in here today that's never heard about Jonah and, and the and the whale, even though the Bible doesn't call it a whale, it calls it a great fish, uh, a big fish. But all of us are, are familiar with that story. This story of Jonah happened about 800 years before Jesus was born. So this story of Jonah has been being told for 2,800 years now. Every child that's gone to Sunday school has heard the story of Jonah. Everybody knows the story of Jonah, as I said, the big fish. And because of that, we can look at that story, and some of you today may have done this, and say, I already know that story. I've heard that story many times. And over time, we can forget what an amazing story this is. I say that because I don't want you to have this mindset, as I said, that we, I've heard Jonah before. There's, what can I possibly learn today that I've never seen before? My challenge to you is to put aside the assumptions that you may have and allow God to speak to you from His Word today. Two questions we need to consider. There's some introductory things because we're starting a, a new book study. There's two questions we need to consider before getting into our study. Uh, first, who is the book of Jonah about? That would be a good question to answer. And second... Why should we take the time to study the book of Jonah? So, first question, who is the book of Jonah about? Well, because it's called Jonah, it's probably about who? Jonah. It's about a prophet named Jonah. And some would say it's a book about what? A big fish. But we've read through the Bible, and when we get to the New Testament, uh, our reading in the New Testament helps us better understand things we read in the Old Testament. The New Testament helps us to interpret the Old Testament. Uh, The New Testament explains what the Old Testament has been about. And you and I have a big advantage reading the story now over the people who read it 2,800 years ago. We have a great advantage over them because we have the New Testament now. In Luke chapter 24, there's an account of Jesus after He rose from the dead. There's an account of Him walking And he meets two of his disciples on the way. Some of you have heard this, the road to Emmaus story. He's walking from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And as Jesus is walking with these two disciples, he asks them what they're talking about. And they explain to him how saddened they are that Jesus has been crucified and it's the third day. And Jesus says something about rising from the dead, but we still haven't seen Jesus. And you know the story. He's walking with them, but they don't know who Jesus is. He's concealed who he is. There's one verse there, not that the others aren't important, but based on what we're studying today in Jonah, and particularly any time we study the Old Testament, this is one of the crucial verses in the New Testament that you ought to be familiar with. Luke chapter 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. 
What did Jesus do as He was walking with His two disciples? It says He began with Moses, which would be what? What we refer to as the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them in how many of the Scriptures, church? All the Scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament, because at that time they didn't have the New Testament. They had the Old Testament. In all the Scriptures, all the Old Testament Scriptures... Jesus interpreted them the things concerning who? Himself. He said, hey guys, let's go back. Let's start at Genesis and I'm going to walk you through book by book and I'm going to show you myself. Now we don't know everything that Jesus said to them today, but I believe we know this, that Jesus told them that the Old Testament was about Him. And if the Old Testament was about Jesus, then Jesus would have told these disciples that the book of Jonah was about who? Jesus. Jesus would have told them that He is the hero in the story of Jonah. The book of Jonah was meant to point people to Jesus. I learned this saying from one of my seminary professors. I don't think this saying was original to him. It's, it's been floating around for years, I'm sure. It says, the new, referring to the New Testament, the new is in the old, Old Testament, concealed. The new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. In other words, the Old Testament is pointing forward to the New Testament, while the New Testament is sort of hidden in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there are these uh, types and these shadows that are pointing forward, not to a time and not to a place, but they're pointing forward to a person. The Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus. How do we know that? Jesus Himself says, go back. And He taught these disciples, and it's there for us to go back. It, doesn't that make you curious that Jesus said, if you study the Old Testament, if you study it carefully, guess who you're going to see there? You're going to see Me. So there are, these, there are these types and these shadows that are pointing forward. And when we come to the New Testament, we get a full explanation of how Jesus was the focus of the Old Testament. Everything was pointing to Jesus. So when we study Jonah, the hero in the story is who? Jesus. Even though we never see His name mentioned, but this story is pointing us to Jesus. And if we miss Jesus... Listen, church, we missed the most important thing. This story was real in history. I believe it was a real man named Jonah. I believe it was a real sea, a real ship, uh, a real fish that really swallowed Jonah, that really spit him out on the sea. I mean, up on the dry land. I believe that was real. But this story was doing something. It was pointing us to something far greater than just a man, a ship, and a great fish. It was pointing us to Jesus, the most important thing. Why study the book of Jonah? Listen to Paul when he talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Why should we study the book of Jonah? Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. He says, And how from childhood, he's talking to Timothy, and from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Sacred writings is referring to the Old Testament scriptures. He says, From childhood, Timothy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Old Testament scriptures. Listen to what he says next. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What did he just get through telling Timothy? The Old Testament, Timothy, is able to make you wise for salvation 
And that salvation comes through faith in Christ Jesus. What was Paul telling Timothy? The Old Testament, Timothy, tells you about the need for salvation. It's pointing us to Christ. Why study the book of Jonah? It's able to make you wise what for church? Salvation. Even though the book of Jonah is meant to point us to God's great act of salvation in Christ, the entire Bible exists to show who God is. It exists to help us understand what God has done and to call us to obedience to what He's done. Why study Jonah? It's quite simple. It's to learn about Jesus and His salvation for us. Even though we never see His name mentioned, we're going to see this as we study through the book of Jonah. Here's the theme for the book of Jonah. The grace of God for sinful people. The grace of God for sinful people. That's the overarching theme for the book of Jonah. The grace of God for sinful people. And there are people who take that and they they word it and say it different ways. That's just the way I've chosen to give it to you. The grace of God for sinful people. Now, in Jonah chapter 1 that we're going to look at today, here's the theme for Jonah chapter 1. It's impossible to run from God. It's impossible... To run from God. That's what we see in Jonah chapter 1. So let's look at verses 1 and 3. And here's what we see. If you're looking for an outline, here's what we have. God is sovereign over His servants. God is sovereign over His servants. Look at verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Notice there, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This gives us an idea about who Jonah was, right? Jonah must have been a prophet. The phrase, the word of the Lord, can be seen over a hundred times. If you read through the the Old Testament, you see that phrase over a hundred times. It's a phrase that tells us how God revealed Himself in those times. He came to people in an audible voice. He doesn't do that now. And that's something for another day. I'm not going to get into that. But He chose to come to them in an audible voice. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. God in the Old Testament would speak to certain people, and He would command them to go and speak for, uh, for Himself to others. The message that He wanted them to hear. And that's what He's doing here with Jonah. Those who were commissioned to speak God's words were called prophets. And Jonah is a prophet. Thus we conclude that Jonah is a prophet. Although he is never called a prophet in this book. He's never referred to as a prophet, but that's what he is. Because the word of the Lord came to him. Now there's a few details about Jonah. You're reading this book about Jonah and you would think, surely somewhere else in the Bible we hear Jonah mentioned in the Old Testament. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, Jonah is mentioned there. So, if you want to know where else Jonah is mentioned, other than when Jesus talks about him, and we'll talk about that in a little while, you go to 2 Kings 14, 25. Some other interesting things about Jonah here in verse 1. Jonah is the only minor prophet that Jesus ever names. The only minor prophet that Jesus ever names. He's the only prophet with who Jesus ever compares himself. He's the only prophet to travel the sea. And along with Daniel, he's the only prophet to ever preach directly to Gentiles. He and Daniel are the only ones to ever preach to Gentiles. Notice God's words to Jonah. Notice what he says. He says, arise, go, and call out. Now, in the Hebrew language, these words are what they call imperatives. They are commands. Okay? God is not suggesting to Jonah that he go to Nineveh. He's commanding Jonah to go to Nineveh. He's not saying, Jonah, if you get time in your busy schedule and things clear up, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to Nineveh. God says, get up, arise, go, and call out against this city. We need to understand something about this city of Nineveh. 
God's commanding Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. He's commanded to go. Which it says here that Nineveh is what kind of city? How does it refer to it? As a great city. Nineveh was a great city in size by ancient standards. It was a great city in its significance. It was the major city of the Assyrian Empire. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament, you know about the Assyrians. They weren't the nicest of guys. They, you know, you didn't send them thank you cards and things like that. that this, they weren't these kind of people that you ever thanked for anything. But more importantly, verse 1 says that Nineveh, notice what it says, was a great city in sin. Verse 2 says that Nineveh's evil had come up before the Lord. Their evil had come up before the Lord. Nothing can be hidden from God. No sin, no evil, no matter where it's carried out, God says their evil has come up before me. Now, I'm telling you these things to help you understand the significance of Jonah being commanded to go and what we're going to see starting in verse 4, Jonah's response to what God tells him to do. The Assyrian kings and their armies were extremely evil. These people cared nothing for human life before death, and as a matter of fact, they cared nothing for humans after they died. One particular Assyrian king would have the arms and legs torn off all his war victims. He'd just leave their torsos laying in the fields. He would cut their limbs off. Another king would remove the skin from people while they were still alive. And he would make great piles of skulls at the city gate of those cities and countries that he conquered. The Assyrians worshipped more than 50 different gods. Assyria was a mean, cruel, wicked nation, and Nineveh was its most prominent city. This is the city that Jonah... A Jew was told to go to and preach. He was told to preach to the city of a country which was Israel's greatest enemy. Did you get the idea behind how evil these people were? They were polytheistic. They worshipped more than one God. The Hebrews were monotheistic. They worshipped one God. And and the Syrians had 50 different gods. They, They were evil, wicked people, and God says, Jonah, get up, go, and call out and preach to these people. What does that tell us about God? It tells us that in spite of evil, Nineveh and its people mattered to God. Wicked, sinful, lost people matter to God. Nobody, no matter how wicked or evil they are, is beyond the grace of God. Do you get the picture? God says, get up and go preach to them that they need to repent and turn to me. Wicked, sinful, lost people matter to God. What does that mean for us? Let me ask you this. Do they matter to you? Do they matter to me? Most of us are quick to jump on Jonah, right? Well, who is Jonah not to go preach to these people? God cares about them. Why Why does Jonah not go? I hear more and more professing Christians question why we would want to go to Muslim countries and tell Muslims about Jesus. Every single day I talk to people almost, they say, why do we waste our money and our time to go tell the Muslims about Jesus? I even detect among some professing Christians an attitude that telling anybody outside of their own kind about Jesus is something that they just don't understand. The Jonah sort of had this attitude as well. Look at verse 3. So, 
What's taking place so far? God says, get up, go, preach to these wicked, sinful, evil people. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarsus, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was not on board, no pun intended, with what God wanted to do. So in verse 3, we see Jonah disobeying God, and he goes in the opposite direction of God's will. Jonah rose not to go to Nineveh, but to flee where? To Tarshish. Try saying that name fast three times when you get home today. Nineveh was about 500 miles northeast of where Jonah was at, and Tarshish was in Spain about 2,000 miles in the opposite direction. What does that tell you? Jonah says, I'm going to run, and I'm going to run as far as I can to get away from the presence of the Lord. Why did Jonah disobey God? We know part of the answer from what we read in verses 1 and 2. Again, Jonah was a Jew. The Ninevites were Gentiles. Uh, Israel, by most standards, were moral people. They were a moral nation. Nineveh was depraved and wicked, but more importantly, Jonah disobeyed God, I think, because he had a heart problem. He had a problem with taking the good news that God will save sinners if they repent to wicked, sinful, evil people. People that were outside of his kind. He didn't care anything about doing that. And rightly so. I think he was fearful of the Assyrians. I don't know if... I mean, wouldn't you be sort of hesitant about get up, go to these people that Strip the hide off of people alive and, and do all that kind of stuff. I'd, I'd be afraid as well. John was fearful of Assyrians. He without a doubt saw Assyria as a threat to the safety. In chapter 3, which we won't get there today, God says that unless Nineveh repents, he's going to destroy that city. So we can read ahead and, and, and see in chapter 3 that God says, if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them. So what does God tell Jonah to do? Get up, go, and preach. What's the Bible say? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Unless these people repent, Jonah, they'll perish. Do you see what kind of mindset Jonah probably had? Because he hated these people, he thinks to himself, destroying Nineveh is a good thing. I'll run the other way. I'll not take them the good news that God saves repentant sinners. Jonah says they're going to get exactly what they deserve. I'm not going to take the gospel to them. Let God destroy them. And so Jonah rejects God's plan for his life. And instead of going to Nineveh, he made his way 2,000 miles away in the opposite direction. This puts Jonah in direct opposition to God's plan, God's missionary plan to save Gentiles. In complete opposition. Here's the question I have for you. You've read the story. And the answer should be easy. Whose plan will succeed, God's or Jonah's? God's plan always succeeds. It never fails. It's impossible to run from God because God sees and knows everything. It's impossible to run from God because He sees and He knows everything. Verse 2 in the Hebrew literally reads this way. For their evil has come up before my face. And verse 3 reads this way, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from before the face of the Lord. Here's my question. Does Jonah think that his evil 
will not come up before the face of the Lord. Nineveh's did. Jonah's disobeying and running from God's will, disobeying God. Does he not think his evil will come up before the face of God? And my question is, how about you? Do we not think that our evil will come up before the face of God? God sees and knows everything, right? It's impossible to get away from God. Listen to what Job says in Job 28, 24. Speaking of God, he says, For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Proverbs 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching evil and the good. How many places are the eyes of the Lord? Everywhere. There's no place where God does not see. God sees and He knows everything. How do we make application from these these verses here? How about you? Do you think that your sin is hidden from God? You ever heard the old saying, your your mom ever tell you, boy, you don't know it, but I got eyes in the back of my head. You ever had someone? And I believed her. (laughs) You know, underneath all that hair, there has to be eyes that sees what I do. But, you know, we laugh at that, knowing that's not true. But God sees and knows everything. There's nothing escapes the eye of God. It's impossible to run from God because God sees and knows everything. Notice in verse 3, the words that He paid the fare. Jonah went down to Joppa. He paid the fare to go away from the presence of the Lord. But it cost Jonah to run from God. He paid the fare. It cost Jonah to run away from God. To run away from the presence of God. To be sure Jonah will find out that it costs much more to run from God than it does to run with God. It always costs us more to run from God and disobey Him than it does to run with Him into things that we're uncertain of. God has a plan for the lives of His servants. You and I may challenge or resist that plan. We may attempt to run from His presence, but we can be sure that it will cost us when we disobey God. Second, Do you suffer from what I call a Jonah complex? Those who hesitate or refuse to tell others about Jesus are Jonas. We must never forget, no one, no one is too sinful that they can't be saved. Think of the most wicked, evil person you know, and they're not beyond the grace of God. No one is too sinful or wicked to receive God's grace. No one is beyond the love and mercy of our great missionary God who is on a mission to save the nations. Look with me now in verses 4 through 12. And here, if you're uh, looking for an outline, here's where it is. The providential God. The providential God. Let me read verses 4 and 6. And these verses here are speaking to God's providence in the lives of His servants. Our lives. But but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Do you you see that word but there? God says go. Jonah says no and does the other way to get away from God. And then that verse begins with what word? But. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. 
But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, interesting, and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper, arise? Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Question. Would Jonah actually succeed in running away from God? Jonah runs, but verse 4 says that he runs straight into who? But the Lord. Jonah runs from God, but no matter where he goes, he can't get to a place where God is not. God is present in the port when he got on the ship, and God is present on the waters of the sea where Jonah is fleeing to to get away from God. Jeremiah 23 verse 24 says, Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not feel the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. If you belong to God and you're unwilling to follow Him, you may seek to hide from the presence of God. But understand this, God does not give up on you. He runs after His people. Verse 4 says, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. That word hurled there is interesting. It's the same word if you were to go to Samuel, 1 Samuel 18. And you remember the story of how Saul... It says he did what? He hurled a spear at David. He threw it. It's the same word. Jonah was running from the Lord, and so the Lord hurled like a great spear, a great wind upon the sea. Verse 4 says there, the wind was great. There was a mighty tempest on the sea. The storm was so great that the ship, it says, was about to be broken up. It was about to be busted into pieces. The storm was that great. Verse 5 tells us that the mariners... That word mariners there, it, the word in Hebrew is the word salts. You ever heard somebody say, he's an old salt? Which means what? He's experienced. That means that these were experienced sailors. They weren't, they just didn't join the, um, uh, the Navy that day and they put them on the ship. These guys had been around the block. They knew what was going on. And notice it says uh, that these Mariners, these experienced sailors were what? They were what? They were afraid. Notice how they cried out to his God. Each of them cried out to his God. And they threw the cargo that was in the ship in order to do what? We're going to lighten the load. We're not going down. We're going to get rid of this cargo. This cargo was very valuable. It was precious cargo. It was their livelihood. And these men were afraid. This was no normal storm. In reading and studying about uh, uh, this, this storm and what was going on there, there's a lot of commentators uh, tell that this time of year was not the time of year for storms to come up on the sea. These experienced sailors knew there's a right time of the year to load the precious cargo and take it to the place where we sell it off and make money. They would never get on the sea in storm season. Are you getting a picture? They would never go out with valuable cargo in storm season. So what time of year was it? It wasn't storm season. What I'm saying is it was not the time of year when a storm would come. There was something supernatural about this storm. Verse 5 also says that Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship and he'd done what? The idea is he went into a deep, deep sleep. He was snoring. He was... I mean, he was making it rumble down there. He was in a deep sleep. The ship is about to be broken up. All the people are going to die. And where's Jonah? Sleeping. Jonah is absolutely, completely oblivious to what's happening around him. 
And in verse 6, the captain of the ship comes to Jonah and asks him, What do you mean, you sleeper? What's the next word? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Do you notice the interesting words of the captain there? Have you heard those words before? Arise and what? Call. It's the same words that God gave to Jonah when he told him to get up and go to Nineveh. The exact words that Jonah had heard from God in verse 2. He'd been told to get up and preach to the people of Nineveh. Now he was being told to arise by a pagan sea captain. How do we make application from these few verses here? Running from God, sinning against God, breaks fellowship with God. And I think most of us as believers in here today, we understand that. Sinning against God breaks fellowship with God. Jonah has lost a desire to pray. Did you notice that? The last thing he wanted to do was talk with God. Jonah was drained of his spiritual life. For the true believer, sinning against God breaks fellowship with God. Sinning drains you of your spiritual life. That's what's happening to Jonah here. Your sin, in this story here, I think points out, Jonah's sin points out something to us. Your sin also brings harm on other people. Your sin is never just about you. Jonah's sin has brought hardship to these other people, right? Some people will say, my sin doesn't hurt anybody but me. Sin is never just about you. Pornography, men, will destroy your marriage. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your mind. Sin is never just about you. What you do in secret can come out one day and destroy others around you, your loved ones. And yet, even though Jonah is running... Jonah's running away from God, right? God is controlling His creation to take back His prophet for the mission that He originally called Him to, to go preach to pagan Gentiles. Look at verses 7 and 12. Here we see that God is providential over circumstances. In verse 7, the sailors, they come up with a way to determine why the storm had come upon them. Do you think they're curious? It's not storm season. The Bible says they did what? They cast lots. And in God's providence, the lot fell on who? Jonah. You think that's a coincidence? No. How do we know that's not a coincidence? Listen to this. Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now I'm not telling you to go home today and roll the dice to find out God's will for your life. That's not what we're talking about here. You can run, but you can't hide from God. He controls our circumstances. Verse 8, the sailors, they begin to do what? They interrogate Jonah. They ask him five questions. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Excuse me. And of what people are you? Verse 9, Jonah responds. He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Really? I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the what? The sea that we're on and the dry land that we just left. Jonah says he's a Hebrew. He fears the Lord, the God of heaven. It's not just any God, but the God who made what? The sea and the dry land. Jonah points out that he's not a follower of just any God. The God he worships and serves is not restricted by geographical location. 
He's not limited in His power in any way. He's the God of heaven. He made the sea and the dry land. Now with that said, I wonder how Jonah ever thought he could escape from a God like that. If he fears God, then why is he running from God? Look at verse 10. Here we have the response of the sailors to the answers that Jonah gave them. They were, how afraid were they? Exceedingly afraid. What kind of sailors are these? Very experienced. They know their way around a ship. They were exceedingly afraid and they asked him a very simple question. I laugh every time I read this. What is this that you have done? You ever had your mom come in or your dad come in and say, All right, what have you done? Why would they ask this question? Look at the latter part of verse 10. For the men knew that he was doing what? Fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Jonah had told them he was running from the presence of God. This is the third time that phrase comes up. And what was and what God was he running from? The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Again, if Jonah fears God, why is he running? The sailors, the sailors are the ones who are what? Extremely, exceedingly afraid. And it's the sailors who draw the right conclusion. The God who made the sea now rules the sea and has sent this disaster upon them. That's why they're afraid. Their response is a genuine fear of God. Isn't it interesting that the unbelieving Gentiles are responding to God better than Jonah, the prophet of God, is? Look at verse 11. The sailors asked Jonah, What shall we do to you? <laughs> I laugh again when I read that. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Notice why they ask. The sea grew what? More and more temptuous. The longer Jonah's in the boat, the worse the storm is getting. Jonah responds in verse 12. His response gives a hint that he, he maybe is moving in the right direction for the first time. Verse 12, Jonah says, Pick me up and hurl me. The same word in verse 4. When God hurled the great, great wind, He says, Hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that this great tempest is what? Because of me. Jonah tells the truth and gives the opportunity to save the sailors and the ship from destruction. At last, Jonah is coming to grips with his sin and the consequences of it. It takes him a little while, but he's coming around. Now, lastly, let's look at verses 13 through 17. And here we see, if you're looking for an outline, the persistent God. The persistent God. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. These sailors are in a serious predicament. They do not want to throw Jonah overboard. Did you notice that? They don't want to throw him overboard. I thought that was interesting. They didn't have no problem throwing their valuable cargo over, but Jonah, they're sort of hesitant because he's what? He belongs to this God that sent this this storm. And yet they know Jonah's responsible for them being in this storm, a storm which has brought them face to face with the God of heaven and earth. Verse 13, the sailors, they did what? 
They rowed hard to get back to dry land. Literally, they dug in the oars and they, and they rowed extremely hard <coughs> to get back to dry land. They did their best, but they discovered that human effort is vain against a sovereign God. <coughs> At last, in verse 14, the sailors realize this and they do what? They pray to God. Notice what they do. Oh Lord, let us not perish. Excuse me for this man's life. And lay down on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Notice the sailors refer to God as what? What do they call Him? Lord. In the Hebrew, it's the word Jehovah. And that's the personal name for God. Their prayer indicates clearly that these sailors recognized the complete power that God had over Jonah. Jonah's running away, but God is what? Coming after him. Verses 15 and 16. So they picked up Jonah. They reconsidered. And they hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows. Notice again, God's control over all things. When they threw Jonah into the sea... What happened, church? The sea ceased from its raging. Now, these sailors are what? They're already exceedingly afraid because the storm has come and they know it's a supernatural storm. And they decide the best thing to do is throw Jonah over and when they throw him into the sea and it just becomes glass. You're already exceedingly afraid, right? Verse 16. The men feared the Lord exceedingly. And what was their response? They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Verse 16 may very well describe the conversion of these sailors. Notice how they responded. They feared the Lord exceedingly. Here the word fear has the idea of reverence and awe and worship. They feared the Lord with a great fear. Then they offered sacrifices and they made vows. The previous fear that these sailors had was a fear for what? It was a fear for their lives. They were terrified they were going to die, but now fear has turned into reverence and awe and worship of God. Let's conclude by these last few comments here. Going back to these two original questions. Why, what is Jonah about and why study the book of Jonah? Quickly. Remember what I read in Luke chapter 24? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What do you think Jesus said when he got to the book of Jonah? He said, listen guys, this is about me. My name's not there, but this is about me. And let me say this. Jonah is one who belongs to God, who is to be someone who goes and proclaims the gospel. He's what we'd call a nation blesser. He's going to bless them with the gospel. What a poor nation's blesser Jonah has turned out to be, right? But as God would have it, the story of Jonah points forward to a better nation's blesser. The one who would respond obediently to God's direction to go and preach repentance to evil, sinful nations. This better nation's blesser wouldn't attempt to run from the face of God like Jonah did, but instead became obedient, even obedient to the point of death on the cross. And like Jonah, he would spend three days confined in what seemed to be a permanent tomb 
before coming out again. Jonah was how many days in the whale? Three. How many days was Jesus in the earth, the tomb? Three days. Who is the one I'm thinking of? Jesus. Jesus would give His life as a sacrifice for the sins of the nations and then rise three days later to bless them. And Jesus understood Himself to be the better Jonah. Jesus said, that's about me. How do we know that? We read Luke 24, but where else can we go in the New Testament? And here, and we'll finish. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12. The scribes and the Pharisees come to Jesus, and what are they always asking Him? Show us a sign, Jesus, to validate everything you're saying and who you are. Listen to Jesus' response in this particular instance. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know what Jesus just said? You go read Jonah, that story's about me. A greater Jonah has come. And He will bless the nations. He will obey His Father. He will preach repentance of sin. Jesus, just as He did in Luke 24, interprets Jonah. He says that Jonah points to Him. Jesus shows that Jonah serves as a type of Himself. He's a pointer to the future Savior who would come. Again, this is a real story. It's a true story. It happened. However, Jonah's story was to serve a greater purpose in pointing people to a future Savior. Today we read Jonah in both of these ways. As a prophetic book and as a book that points us to Jesus. And we're going to see this more and more and more as we go through the book. Well, what does that mean for God's... for us? What does that mean for God's plan to bless the nations? It means according to Jesus that we as His followers are the ones through whom He has chosen to carry out this plan. We read in the Gospel of Matthew... The Great Commission. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Sounds sort of like what He said to Jonah, right? Go. Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Two things. Given that the better Jonah has come for the nations and commanded us to preach him to the nations, are we guilty of running from our duty to evangelize and disciple the lost? Are we like Jonah? Are we guilty of being unconcerned about the eternity of millions of people who are going to perish without Christ? Does that concern us? Or like Jonah, are we guilty of not liking the extent of God's mercy to include... Those people who are different from us. To what degree does our nature reflect God's nature of wanting to see people come to Christ? And one last sentence. Are we asleep in the bottom of the boat? Are we asleep in the bottom of the boat? Remember Jonah? Asleep. In the bottom of the That's the question we need to ask ourselves, church, individually and as a church, to our community and to the world around. Are we asleep in the boat? Let's pray.